630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Could there indeed be National Hockey League action on New Year's Day? That has been their target date. A lot of us have been skeptical about the puck actually dropping on January 1st, but maybe we're getting there. We'll go over some things Gary Bettman said today, and we do know for sure that the NBA is going to tip off on December 22nd, and they're going to shoot to play 72 games, so almost a full season for the National Basketball Association. Clearly with the NHL, uh, I think we're at a point where their absolute maximum would be 60 games and perhaps as few as 48. We'll discuss that tonight. Also, Hockey Hall of Fame week continues on 6.30. Chet Inside Sports at 6.30. Mark Howe is going to check in tonight course played in the world hockey association played for the uh, philadelphia flyers best remembered for playing for the flyers was also a whaler and a red wing in the nhl couple of showdowns with the oilers in the stanley cup final in the mid-1980s it'd be good to talk to mark and uh, at around 6 20 tonight our code word for our 6 30 ched ultimate virtual gray cup house party we're going to be giving that out at 6 20 all week long reed wilkins with you you can check in by calling or texting 780-496-0063 always happy to hear from you a few people tweeting me today as i uh put out on twitter what would your champions dinner be at the masters and i'll get to some of those replies a little bit later on as tiger woods is going with sushi and fajitas this year as we bring in our nhl insider and a guy i would consider a foodie as well the one and only John Shannon. John, thanks for checking in, buddy. How are you doing? Great, Reed. You? I'm doing well. Thanks for hopping on the show tonight. As uh, Gary Bettman spoke today, part of a, a virtual panel at the Paley International Council Summit. And, you know, he talked about some things. And, and when Bettman says it, it's a little more definite than, than we speculate. And they're still shooting for January 1st. And you and I have talked about it. Some sort of hybrid bubbles. What sort of information are you getting today? Well, I, I, we should never discount Gary when he says it. He, you know, he announced it uh, three or four weeks back that uh, I think it was on draft night when he said he was looking at January 1st. We should always believe him because usually Gary gets his way. And what he has done is uh, he's, he's run this by uh, the executive committee of ownership, 10 of the owners that are closest to him to, to, uh, to, to talk it through last Friday. Uh, they've been working in close communication with the Players Association, Matthew Schneider and Don Fear about it. Uh, there's a Board of Governors meeting on Thursday that they will introduce this to the rest of the board. Uh, not necessarily for a rubber stamp, but more of an information session, I'm told. Uh, and, hope, and they want to do an announcement sooner than later. I don't expect an announcement Thursday at this point. At least that's what I was told, Reed. But certainly, January 1st is a reality uh, for many people in and around the league. Uh, I think there will be owners that will try to push back on that, as we've talked about before. Uh, and I keep now hearing a 56-game regular season. Okay, so 56 games starting January 1st. Yeah. Uh, 56 divided by 4. I'm doing my math quickly here. It's got to be 14. So can you play 14 games a month and go to the end of April and then two months of playoffs? Is that well, I think an we, ideal? I, again, I think we, we, what, what we've always talked about in this is uh, the window is January 1st to July 15th. 
So, um, you know, and what you're going to have to do, and this was something we talked about, gosh, I think we talked about this during the bubble, is the original concept was that they would create these regional um, uh, pods, or a, a semi-bubble, if you were, that you would go in for a couple of weeks and play maybe eight games and then get out for a week and be with your family. Uh, in order to, you know, not not to go, not to get cabin fever like the players evidently did in Edmonton and Toronto uh, this summer. Um, you know, the one thing that Bettman has said is that he, there is no expectation of full bubble seasons. Again, uh, that will not happen. Uh, but I think when you look at how Major League Baseball handled the regular season with some travel uh, between cities, how the NFL has handled it. Uh, and the other thing that I found interesting today, and Gary talked about it at the Paley conference, uh, was that it, he was open to some level of uh, fans being in certain uh, arenas based on the jurisdictions they're in. Uh, for instance, in Canada right now, uh, you could not, you're not allowed to have a, a large group, a group over 100 in any of the cities. Uh, in, in some of the other places, uh, you might be able to get away with that, you know, whether it's in Raleigh, North Carolina, or or Dallas, Texas. Uh, they're they're going to be open to those teams that can have small crowds that they're going to allow them, in theory, allow them to uh, have fans in some of the seats, not all of the seats, but in some of the seats. Okay, so if it's hybrid bubbles, and you and I have been over this concept a few times, but let's let's say there's a Canadian division. Yeah. Would would Vancouver, for example, be the bubble city for the entire season, and that's the one they're traveling back and forth to, or could they hypothetically move that around? I, I mean, I, I think they're open to anything, I, and I think that that's the next two or three weeks we're going to understand a bit more. But whether there's a single site for the Canadian division, and it certainly sounds because of the border restrictions that we are leaning towards a Canadian division, whether there's a single site for that first two-week window, uh, I, I think we have to wait and see about that plan, as there would be one for the southwest of the United States, maybe Vegas, maybe Anaheim. I would suspect it's outside of California because California is almost as militant as Canada is when it comes to COVID. Uh, and then there'd be one, obviously, in, uh, down the center of the United States and one on the eastern seaboard. And, and they would be, we would be running different divisions as, than, than normal simply because of geography and, and, uh, and, and the COVID restrictions. So I, I don't have that answer. Maybe, maybe it's more than one bubble and you start the first one in Vancouver and then you do the second one in Montreal. Who knows what it is? Uh, that's, I don't think that's really been decided yet. Do you think... Well, look, we're speculating here, John, so I'll just keep asking you these questions. <laughs> do, you, do you think Edmonton and Toronto would likely be excluded since they already hosted? Uh, no, I don't think so at all. In fact, I would, I would argue that um, it might be more advantageous. I, I do not know, but I, I would argue that Toronto and Edmonton would be more advantageous because they've been through it. Uh, and the people in the arenas know how to handle these situations. Uh, there, the one thing I, 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 I've been able to glean in all of this is that they're not going to be near as militant about the bubble as we saw in Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, 
um, simply because I think that they they are they're going by the uh, experiments that existed in Major League Baseball and in and in the National Football Association uh, National Football League. Um, so from that perspective, I think that it'll be a little more liberal bubble. So it's not going to be as as t- as tight as Toronto and Edmonton were. John Shannon joining us tonight on Inside Sports as we continue to talk about speculation for the next NHL season. You heard John saying it, Board of Governors meeting on Thursday, though probably not an announcement on that day. So do you think, because I'm just trying to think back to the process, do you, do you think they'd say, okay, January 1st, then then the divisions and then a schedule? Like maybe those are three different announcements or do you think they would try to roll everything out when, when one day? Well, I, I think what they'll try to do is they'll probably try to announce training camps on the 12th or 15th of December, a January 1st start, uh, and then a schedule to come rather swiftly after that. I don't think you'll I don't think you'll see an announcement of a full schedule when they announce the the, the return of hockey. I just, I just don't think so because uh, you're going to have to you're going to have to deal with all of your network partners you're going to have to deal with the regional networks uh you're, you there's there's too much to come out uh at a certain point and i don't think they'd have enough time to do that quickly i do think it would happen in a timely fashion but i don't think it will happen that quickly all right put your put your tv executive hat on for a second so clearly there'd be be probably a lot of double headers in rinks um are you hoping to get more games on nationally or, or are they going to have to follow some kind of ratio alignment to say, okay, well, the Oilers, even if they're the only game being played that day, not every game can be nationally because Sportsnet West has to get some games. What are you thinking there? Well, the national schedule in a regular season, remember playoffs are different. What we saw in the bubbles were playoffs for all intents and purposes. The, the regular season is different. And the regular season is done by nights. Uh, the contract for Rogers is for Wednesday night hockey, Saturday night hockey, Sunday night hockey to be national in Canada. Uh, the other nights of the week aren't necessarily national nights. And that's also going to be part of the challenge is how many games you play and on what nights you play. So um, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's a different equation than we saw in the playoffs. So... I do think you're going to see a lot of double headers on on um, Wednesdays and Saturdays and Sundays in order to try to make sure that uh, the National Hockey League um, gets to close to 100% of its contractual obligations to Rogers. Okay. It's going to be interesting to follow. Did I miss anything important, John? No, I, I think one of the thing, the big things in all of this is, is that uh, and what kept getting come pushed back to me the last week was the players were still adamant that they were hoping to get to 82 games because they want their full salaries. Um, and there's a real belief, I think, on the players' side and with, when you talk to agents that, that they're guaranteed at least 72% of their salaries. I don't see that, uh, and I don't hear that from ownership side, is if, if revenue hockey related revenues are down 50% then the players get 50% of the 50% they don't get 72%. So I think that we might see and we saw this in major league baseball we might see some level of disagreement between the sides 
based on how much salaries will be. Uh, the other thing is, and, the, and, and I think one of the biggest flies in the ointment of, of, of this plan is that there are a lot of owners uh, in the league that are saying, hold on now, I don't want to start January 1st. I want to start a little later when I know that I can put some people in the arenas. Eugene Melnick is saying that he, th he, he wants to be able to put 6,000 people in Canadian Tire Centre in Ottawa, and at 6,000 he can break even. Uh, so, th so I suspect on the Thursday board call, there will be some pushback from owners saying, no, I don't really want January 1st, I want February 1st. Um, that's not to say it's going to happen. But I don't think this is as uniform, and uh, I think there's a, that's a contentious issue, a contentious issue for a few owners. I don't know how many, but those owners that, you know, have uh, run into some cash issues in the offseason are going to push back saying, if I don't have the ability to put people in seats, even at a minimum level, I'm not sure I want to play. Yeah, okay. Well, John, thanks for the update. I really appreciate your perspective. Uh, you know, obviously, maybe we're inching closer towards an actual announcement, but thanks for outlining how it's looking and maybe some of the hurdles they still have to clear. Always love having you on, buddy. I think it'll be fun for the next 17 or 20 days as we try to figure this out. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That is John Shannon checking in tonight on Inside Sports, our NHL insider, longtime broadcast executive, and some perspective there. So Board of Governors meeting on Thursday. He, John does not expect an announcement that day. He thinks if they go with uh, January 1st, they go with a 56-game season. But as he, as he said, there still could be some hang-ups with, with owners who might uh, not want to proceed if there aren't fans coming into the building, and you may have to work out exactly what portion of their salaries the players are going to wind up getting from this season. So those are all some things to, uh, to keep in mind. The Zach says, I'd like to know... Um, where the Oilers are going to have their training camp and play their home games if the World Juniors are here. Well, I think they could they could probably hold their training camp. They could start at Rogers Place until the World Juniors began, and then they could go over to the downtown community arena. That's what they did when they had their training camp in July. The first day was at Rogers Place, and then the NHL came in to get the building ready to host the games, and then the Oilers held all their skates at the downtown community rink. So uh, I, I would think that that's what they could do here. They could perhaps start in Rogers Place and then move to the downtown rink. And as for their home games, Zach, like John was saying, they're, they're not going to have home games. They're going to have neutral site games. So Edmonton would not be a bubble city until after the World Juniors were over. So wherever they started January 1st, that's where the Oilers would go to play their first six to eight games over those first 10 to 14 days when, when teams would be in a hub city in a modified bubble. So that's how you'd be looking at that. Hey, don't forget about the 630 Ched Ultimate Virtual Grey Cup House Party. It's the 2020 Grey Cup that couldn't happen, but the house party that did. 630 Ched and the Double E football team want to give one lucky listener the ultimate at-home experience delivered to your home by the EE football team mascot punter. Now the winner gets outfitted with 500 bucks worth of Double E gear. We'll get a $100 gift card for Save on Foods. $100 worth of Skip the Dishes gift cards, plus an additional four $40 Skip the Dishes gift cards to be shared with four friends. Now, the code word here, you enter on the contest page at 630ched.com, and today's code word is touchdown. Today's code word is touchdown.
621 inside sports on chat Appreciate you tuning in tonight. So, yeah, to recap, we're talking about some comments Jer- uh, Gary Bettman made today, part of a uh, virtual summit, a virtual panel at the Paley International Council Summit. Bettman, uh, again, saying that they, they haven't ruled out having teams play in their own arena, but also they're looking at the possibility of short-term hubs. So teams would go into a city for maybe 10 or 12 days, play against the other teams in that city, go home for about a week, uh, continue to be tested, and then all go to maybe the same hub city or another one to resume the season. And John Shannon believes if they started January 1st that they would play a 56-game season. Uh, a couple of people asking about Oilers training camp. Uh, James says the downtown community arena will be all blocked for the World Juniors too. James, fair comment. I, I don't know for sure uh, how everything could be scheduled. I do know this. All the actual games for the world juniors are being played at rogers place the first one is at noon on christmas day when slovakia plays switzerland canada starts against germany at four o'clock on boxing day all the games are at rogers place um sure there might be a lot of demand for practice sites at the downtown community rink but but i would think leading up to christmas the Oilers would be able to hold the training camp uh, as john said maybe they start december 12th maybe december 15th somewhere in that range the week after Christmas, okay, let's just speculate here what could happen. Either the Oilers find some time at the DCA to hold their final few practices. Um, may, maybe they even get to use Rogers Place before the game starts at noon. Who knows? Could the Oilers get the, out there for a 9 a.m. practice, go for an hour, and then it's used for competition ice after that? Or on Boxing Day or December 27th, could the Oilers fly to whatever the first Canadian hub city is going to be and have their final few practices in that city before they start playing games on January 1st or I suppose January 2nd? At least one Canadian team would be have, have to be off per day since there are seven teams. So, but I, but I do think it would be possible for the Oilers to certainly hold at least a large chunk of their training camp in Edmonton, even even though the World Juniors are here, so that's 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 how I look at that. But but certainly fair questions. We're we're working through this. We don't know anything for sure. But again, a Board of Governors will meet on Thursday. John Shannon does not expect an announcement that day. He says he thinks of eventually they'll come out with. Okay, training camps are going to start around mid-December. Season will start January 1st, and then a few days later, a schedule comes out. And it's, I mean, we've been talking about it for a while. I think we were talking about it while the previous season was still being finished up in Toronto and Edmonton, that likely to be uh, a Canadian division, at least to start the upcoming season. So that is where we are at. But we could be getting more news in the next couple of weeks than we've had in the last two or three. 780-496-0063 780-496-0063 to call or text. All right. Hockey Hall of Fame week this week on Inside Sports. We will get to Mark Howe. Mark Howe coming up after the 630 News.
many changes to the sports schedule, and that includes off-ice celebrations as well. It's usually around this time of year that players are inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. We had Lanny McDonald on the show last night, himself a Hall of Famer, now the chairman of the board for the Hall, saying that, hey, you know, Kevin Lowe and the guys who we're going to get in this year, we're going to do that for them next year. So Dave Campbell and I thought, well, let's start with Lanny McDonald and get some Hall of Famers on the show this week to still uh, celebrate the greatest in the game of hockey. And uh, we welcome another Hall of Famer to the show tonight. Former defenseman, played in the World Hockey Association and the NHL and uh, almost 200 playoff games combined in those two leagues on top of uh, 929 regular season games in the NHL, 426 in the WHA. It is Mark Howe checking in tonight. Mark, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Good, Reed. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. It is awesome to have you on the show. I really appreciate you making the time for us. Um, you know, I mentioned we had Lanny yesterday. We got Phil Housley coming up later in the week. We're working on some other Hall of Famers. So this is really cool to, to hear some stories and, and catch up with some great players. Let's start there. Let people know what you're up to these days. Uh, well, I'm still uh, scouting for the Detroit Red Wings, and uh, so but we're uh, we're kind of stuck to video scouting nowadays. So we're uh, right now we're doing some uh, some stuff for watching uh, some pl- uh, players that are playing over in Europe, and uh, so just trying to get a, a an early jump on uh, the season, uh, if and when it ever be uh, begins again. So uh, yeah, it just uh, makes the job a little easier if you have a little familiarity with the a player before you see him for the first time well i'm curious about scouting players who play in europe because i I get to do interviews with players who play in europe or sometimes have gone back and forth i had william lagason on the show last week the uh oilers defenseman who's playing in in div two in sweden during this delay here and and then they all talk about the you know the width of the ice the angles and stuff like that how does that affect your evaluation of a player when you see them play on a different size ice uh, surface in europe well, I mean, I'm looking more for uh, well, one the the, the skill set of the player uh, and the competitiveness of the player, and uh, you know, if if you're skilled and you're uh, and you're competitive, uh, I think you're going to have success pretty well anywhere you go. And uh, but I, I I know there's some guys that I saw play in the American League, and they're over there right now, and I, I did some video on them, and um, some of the guys actually uh, they look better over there with the bigger ice surface. Uh, but the the style of the way a few guys play to me they're they're better off uh, in a smaller ice surface. So uh, I mean that that you, you they're little small nuances, but those are I think some of the things that you can pick up. Yeah, Mark Howe joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Okay, I'm going to start with this for a Hall of Fame question, and I don't want to look back on different parts of your career, but. Uh, the the phone call. I mean, I asked Lanny about it last night. The, the phone call that you were getting in. What's your memory? Uh, well, that's an easy one for me because uh, I mean, I, uh, I had a long, long wait. Uh, as I know, like Kevin, uh, Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson have had. And, um, so I mean, actually, I I was had been on vacation, um, uh, and I. I was home for about two days, and then I had some things to check on. Then I was busy going on, on another vacation, and uh, so I, and I was kind of in a hurry and doing a lot of things. And, and I'm on, I'm on my way back home, and and I have no idea it's that time of year when with the Hall of Fame, and I uh, so I'm, it's not even in my mind. I'm not thinking about it. 
Um, uh, but I know the two previous years, uh, there was talk about me possibly getting in, and uh, I know some people were pushing for me, and, and I didn't get a phone call, and it was dis- uh, disappointing. I mean, you kind of get your hopes up and say, wow, is this, this is actually, a, uh, this could possibly be a reality. Um, so, and I'm not that kind of guy. I, I don't think that way. So I just, I, I was focused on doing what I'm doing. And, and I'm, so I'm driving from my shore house to my other home and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a phone call from a 416 area code and I don't, it's, but there's no caller ID. I don't know who it is. So I didn't answer the phone. Uh, they called again. I didn't answer the phone. Uh, then I got a call from the Red Wings office. So then I answered the phone. It was uh, one of the, uh, uh, I think it was Kenny Holland's assistant at the time. And uh, so the, Kathy was trying to explain to me, she says, well, there's some people in Toronto. They're trying to speak to you about an appearance for your father. And I said, well, my brother Marty handles all that. I don't get in the middle of it. And I said, so they can just call Marty. <laughs> and I gave her the number, and she said, well, they're really hoping to talk to you. And I said, well, I, like, I, I can't do that to my brother. It's not fair. You know, I'm just going to defer them to Marty anyway. And she said, well, do you mind? Can they just call you, and then you can take it from there? And I said, sure, whatever. And uh, so I don't it wasn't uh, two, three minutes later, the 416 phone number popped up again. And I answered the answered the phone, and, and like I said, it hadn't entered my mind one iota. But instantly, um, I knew the voice of uh, of Bill Hay and Jimmy Gregory, and they were all saying hello. And I went and I went, oh my God, oh my God! And I'd swear my my heart felt right down to my stomach. So uh, I mean, the impact for me was just uh, such a great great call. Uh, and then they talked about things that were going to transpire over the course of the day. And, and they said, do you have any questions? I said, yeah. I said, when can I tell my dad? I mean, that was the only thing I wanted to do. And my mom had already passed. So, uh, and at the end they said, well, we haven't announced it yet. And there's some things. And so maybe in about three hours or so, you can give them a call. I said, okay. So I don't know, about three hours later, I called, actually dad was in Toronto doing an appearance. Marty was there with him. So I called Marty. And Marty goes, hey, congratulations. <laughs> so they already knew the news. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, that phone call for me because I, actually I never, ever thought that phone call would ever come. And, um, and uh, yeah, so that day was just awesome. That's as good a phone call as you could ever get. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome story, Mark. Thanks for sharing that. Mark Howe joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Mark, for people who listen to my show regularly, I have standard questions that I think bring out good stories in people. And I will often ask athletes who, who played at the highest level, whether it was hockey, football, or whatever, about getting into the sport as, as a little kid and who got them into that. I'm not sure if that's overly relevant for you since your dad was one of the greatest <laughs> players of all time, Gordy Howe. But but I do want to ask you about sort of um, that journey growing up with with the Howe last name and, uh, you know, and everybody knowing who who your dad is. It must have been a, a different experience. Um, you know, everybody knew your dad as as this great competitive hockey player and, and you knew him as, as, as your dad. So it must have been kind of an interesting journey. Uh, yeah, it was, but I, and I, um, you know, they, I know dad used to bring us down to the rank and, uh, I, uh, story goes, I was two years old and, 
he would put a chair on the ice, and so when you fell down, you could get it, your get yourself back up. And uh, I was playing on a team when I was four, and uh, but back in the day, like uh, Dad wasn't around a lot, mostly because of you know the teams traveled by train and bus, and I mean there was a lot of days they weren't home, and um, so and I've always credited my mother for. Um, you know, being the backbone of the family, running the household, all all four of uh, kids would say the same thing. And she's the one that's one year I was on a team, Marty's on a team, my younger brother Maru is on a different team, and uh, and we were playing 100, 100 to 110 games each as kids, plus practicing three days a week. I have no idea how she did it. Uh, but uh, and then as I got older, and I, and I I was a pretty good player when I was about 12, 13. I was always middle of the road for scoring, but I was playing up like four years, five years. And uh, then when I was 14, I was playing a tier two junior league and I led the league in scoring. And um, and then, I mean, the attention you get, one, because Marty and I were, we were American kids playing with other American kids. We were playing in a Canadian league. They didn't like us going up there and beating them. And, uh, and the other part is you're Gordy Howe's son. I mean, the verbal abuse you took and, and everything else. and. And then, and I was never one to read papers, uh, but you know now people are starting to say, well, Mark Howe can do this, Mark Howe can do that. He's got the potential to do this, potential to do that. And, uh, you know, and, and then the, the comparisons come in, and my mom basically sat me down one day, and we talked. She said, look, you know, the way you're going to have to deal with this when you're older is just learn to evaluate yourself, evaluate when you're happy, when you're not happy with your play, and don't compare yourself to anybody else. Like, it's just, it's not fair comparing yourself to your father. Um, you know, which would have been, <laughs> for me, like, chances are you're going to fail. And uh, so and that's how I learned how to deal with, uh, I guess, the adversity of being the son of Gordy Howe, which was, oh, I think in part, maybe if there's, if there's 10 different issues, that's the one negative. Every other issue, being a son of Gordy Howe, is the most positive thing in the world. And I mean, getting to uh, skate on the ice down at the old Olympia, if I, if I could get a ride down there at 9 in the morning, I could skate till like 6 in the evening and go home. And uh, Jesse used to run the concession stands down there, and uh, he'd feed me lunch and dinner and everything. And I, you know, I was kind of like a rink rat. And, uh, I went to all the games. Everybody in the building knew who I was. I had the run of the place. I could go in and out of the locker room uh, after games unless it was a bad loss. And Dad would give me the thumbs down as they're walking in the locker room, which <laughs> meant stay out. And So, yeah, I just, uh, uh, being the son of Gordy Howe opened up so many doors. Um, uh, but the, the tougher part of it was, uh, like I said, those are the parts my mom helped me get through. And uh learn how to handle it and deal with it uh i think till you got a little bit older and uh and then could handle things a little better on your own yeah great great answer mark how joining us okay I, and I, I should point out i i mean i was a, i made a bit of an error when i introduced you as a defenseman that's how i remember you uh but you started off as as a left winger and playing in the world hockey association with houston and new england what's the story of you moving to defense uh well i I always I played a little defense uh, as a kid, but mostly it was on the power play. And I think one year in Bantam where uh, they wanted me to play close to 60 minutes a game. And so <laughs> it's hard to do as a forward. So I'd play forward and defense and never come off the ice. And uh, 
but for the most part, I was always a forward. And then uh, down in Houston, we I think we only had 25 players under contract in the WHA and just for finances. And, uh, we had some injuries one year, and uh, so we had a couple guys on the back end hurt. We had no replacements, so Coach Bill Deneen, uh put me back there for about 20, 30 games, and I played with... Uh, Another ex-Red Wing, a guy named Paul Popeil, uh, who was uh, excellent for me. Like, a really good guy, highly competitive. Um, I got in the offense a little bit, but mostly a stay-at-home guy. And so when you, uh, my job was to go out and skate. And, and when I'm trying to learn defense like that, you're making a lot of mistakes. And uh, But when you have a stay-at-home guy uh, who's always there to back you up, uh, made the transition a little bit easier. But... Uh, once we got everybody healthy again, then I went back to forward, and, uh, and I stayed there until uh, uh, until the leagues merged. And I played, uh, uh, I think, three or four games on left wing uh, with the Hartford Whalers. Now, we had a game in Buffalo, um, and I skated left wing in the morning skate, and then I came to the game, and I looked up, and they had the starting lineup on the board, and uh, somebody put my name on defense. I thought one of the players were messing around, so I went and erased it and put it back on left wing at Gordy's line. And the uh, coach committee started yelling at her. Who the hell is messing with the board? So I said, well, I'm playing defense tonight. So and I'll never forget my first shift. Uh, my partner, whoever it was, he pinched down. The puck gets chipped out. And, and who are the it's Gilbert Perot one on one? I'm I'm going. Oh dear Lord, please help me now. So thank God he lost the puck. I laid on it. And, I had to change after 15 seconds. I was out of breath. So that's how my uh, my career started as a defenseman in the NHL. Mark, can we just leave you uh, if, if you got if you got seven or eight more minutes? Can we just leave leave you on here through? The, I got to get a break in, but I want to ask you a couple of other things, and I'm enjoying your story. So can we just stick have you hang on the line for two minutes? Yeah, sure. Be glad to. Right on. Hall of Fame week here at Inside Sports. More with Mark Howe in two minutes. <laughs> Okay, Hockey Hall of Fame week on the show. Mark Howe is on the line. He was a Houston Arrow. He was a New England and Hartford Whaler, a Philadelphia Flyer, and a Detroit Red Wing. Uh, I, I, I mostly remember you playing for the Flyers, Mark, and two showdowns with uh, the Oilers in the Stanley Cup Final, uh, 87. You took them all the way to the uh, to the seventh game. Um, I know you didn't get the results you wanted, but when you, when you reflect on those series now, what, what stands out for you? Uh, well, just well, one is uh, you know how how great a team the Oilers were. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just uh, Gretz and Mess and uh, Anderson and Kevin Law. I mean, and Koff and uh, Grant Fuhrer. I mean, they they had a whole team. I mean, uh, I know all the years we played them during the regular season, we we did fairly well against them, uh, but they were a totally different team by the time you get to the finals. I mean. Uh, their third and fourth lines, they dumped and chased. They never missed one opportunity to finish a check. You never had an outnumbered rush. And, um, and then especially in 87, we kind of had them on the ropes. We came back. Uh, they got they threw an extra day in between, I think, which helped them. But uh, and, I, and I've said this a number of times before. I mean, we had them kind of going in the first period. Grant Fuhrer Grant made a couple of huge saves, especially on a penalty kill. And 
then they, they tied it up. But I tell you, the last two periods is as good a game as i ever seen a team play. Uh, they just came at us in waves and waves and waves, and, and we couldn't stop it. Uh, so, I mean, that's how good they were. And, and in reality, like, we, we were banged up. We had, a, uh, you know, we had some injuries that uh, we needed guys healthy. We needed a whole team just to be able. But Ron Hextall was so good that series. He won the con Smythe. And uh, the series was over a little bit quicker without Hexy for sure. But, uh, but it was fun. It was a, a great series, great experience. And, uh, and I, I think the best team won. So uh, I guess that's the way it should work all the time. But it doesn't. Okay, I, you know what, Mark? When, when I mentioned, I actually tweet, I tweeted out too that you were coming on. And a couple of people were, were like, "You got to ask Mark about this story." You had Mike Keenan as a coach. Some players don't look back fondly on having Mike as a coach. To, I, I work with Rob Brown, who uh, who uh, didn't enjoy his his tenure under Keenan in Chicago so much. What what's the story with this Christmas Day practice? I think it was in eighty four, eighty five. What actually happened here? Well, it wasn't Christmas Day. I think it was uh, a couple days before where uh, and they, they had a little tradition here in, in, uh, with the Flyers where uh, they did like a Pollyanna day. And they, like we would draw names out of the hat and uh, we'd buy gag gifts for each other and we'd have a good time. And then, you know, just kind of see each other off. And then you see each other a couple days later after Christmas. And uh, so, but we... <laughs> And everybody had their gifts. We had everything all set up. I think we had a uh, beer or two sitting in the locker room waiting for us. And, uh, and uh, oh, Mike put us through a skate, <laughs> uh, which happens. Uh, so, but yeah, the guys were pretty ticked off. And uh, we got in the locker room, and beer cans were being thrown, presents were being thrown, and uh, guys got in the shower, iced down, got in the shower, and got the heck out of there. So, uh, okay. yeah, he put, he put a little damper on Christmas break. Okay, so that's the story. Uh, I'll throw you one more, Mark. Um, in anybody in the NHL that reminds you of yourself as a player? I know maybe that's a tough one, and some things about the the game has changed. But but I like asking this, so I want to throw it at you. Oh wow! Um, no, that's a tough one right now. I I think there's a number of guys. I I think the the game's trending that way a little bit more. Uh, except for the guys, I mean, thing is now, but guys are 210, 220, and uh, they can move and think. And um, but the bottom, the bottom line was, I, I the way I assessed my game was, I was quick on pucks. Uh, I could recognize and get the puck going the other way. And I think there's a, and I that's you're looking for that player all the time. And there's there's a number of guys around the National Hockey League that do that exceptionally well. And uh, there's no secret if you're spending more time in the offensive zone rather than the defensive zone, you're going to win more, uh, a bigger portion of hockey games. All right. Mark, thank you so much for doing this. I, I honestly wish we had more time, but you've already been incredibly generous here, giving us about, about half an hour. So thanks for doing this. I, I love looking back on your career. So many people remember you playing, and, and uh, just thanks for sharing that tonight and, and your Hall of Fame experience. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think, and I, let me just add too. I want to first congratulate the the class that's getting in. But I, I'm uh, the Hall of Fame experience uh, is was such a great thing. It's one thing to get a phone call, um, uh, but the Hall of Fame just did everything right the year I went. They're doing it right this time because it, what they do, they make the the the, the Hall of Fame week such a great experience for not only the individual but for their family their friends 
Uh, I mean, I had, oh, like 30, 40 people up there with me. And uh, it's a weekend that none of us will ever forget. And, and you can ask anybody you interview uh, uh, about Kelly Massey. Kelly Massey's a person that, uh, that everybody deals with before you go up there and make all the arrangements. And talk about somebody that is so prepared, so first class. You don't have to do a thing while you're there. You just kind of, uh, it's kind of like being sheep and you just follow the leader. And uh, so I'm glad, I'm glad the Hall of Fame is doing this. They're going to postpone it. And hopefully everybody stays safe and healthy and you get through this COVID thing. And, uh, and then they do the induction the way they've always done it. Because for, for all the individuals and their families getting in, it's something they will never, ever forget in their lifetime. It's a better experience than the phone call. The phone call for me was just flat-out awesome. So, um, yeah, you, and you can ask anybody that's in there. And I'm sure they'll say the exact same thing I just did. Right on. Thank you so much, Mark. All the best. Okay, Ray. Thank you. All right, take care. That is Mark Howe, Hockey Hall of Fame Week here on Inside Sports. Great to talk to him. We're back after the news. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.